The Athletic. Bayern Munich are top of the Bundesliga with a perfect record of three wins from three heading into the international break. So, what's the problem? Polinia's move to Bayern Munich collapsed before the Germany deadline and it means that he is staying at... Well, according to President Uli Hones, Bayern used to laugh about deadline day. Subtext, now they're the laughing stock. Despite landing number one target Harry Kane, they failed spectacularly to bring in another two key targets at the last minute. So how did a club known for getting its business done early get it so wrong this summer? And how has manager Thomas Tuchel taken it? I'm Ayo Akimulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. news for Bayern Munich. Looks like they are going to miss out on Carl Walker. All right, joining us for this one, German football writers Raphael Honigstein and also Seb Stafford-Bloor to talk Bayern Munich. Raph, let's start with you on this. Um, The window actually started pretty well for Bayern Munich, Stealing Serie A's best defender, Guerrero coming through as well, and Leimer as well. And then towards the back end, things got a little bit tricky, didn't they? They got tricky. They got tricky because Harry Kane's extraction from Spurs took a lot of time, took a lot of money, took a lot of manpower. And I think distracted Bayern a little bit from other issues or perhaps allowed them to tell themselves and to tell Tuchel, we'll deal with the other stuff once we've got Harry Kane sorted. And of course, Harry Kane dragged on the search for a second goalkeeper, dragged on as well a little bit. And by the time they addressed Tuchel's second big wish, a defensive midfielder, they were nearly out of time. And that's why the window ended quite glamorously with Bayern holding not much of a hand um, and being quite short in some positions. Yeah, we're not used to seeing Bayern Munich not get what they want in recent years in particular anyway. Um, But there's been a lot going on in the background. And finally, Sporting Director arrives on on, on transfer deadline day, do I imagine? Yeah, Christoph Freund's first day in the job was on transfer deadline day, which was not ideal. Uh, Of course, he was a little bit involved ahead of that. But in itself, that personnel decision was was a bit of a drawn-out one because Bayern were looking for a new sporting director ever since they got rid of Hasan Salihamidzic towards the end of last season. And the guy that they really liked, Christoph Freund from RB Salzburg, uh, was not available to start before the 1st of September because he was still dealing with uh, stuff in Salzburg for, for their transfer window. And in his place, they had this transfer committee made up of, of Tuchel, Marco Nepper, the technical director, uh, CEO, CFO, Uli Hoeneß, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. I think that's all. I'm not sure I missed out one or two, but <laughs> uh, that um, also made things quite convoluted, quite complicated, and explains, I think, why for Bayern, this was one uh, really embarrassing and quite disastrous window. Yeah, uh, Seb, I mean, Tuchel described his squad's composition as 
gutsy on on, on the Saturday. Um, clear, he's, he's clearly not happy how things have ended up. Are, are we going to start seeing Delict do like a, a John Stones at this moment in time to try and fill this void in and try and you know uh, bolster what they have in midfield because obviously they they are lacking in that department. Yeah, when, when Thomas Tuchel said gutsy at the weekend, it, there were some air quotes being used there, I.O., because there seems to be a real undertone, and there has been since the Super Cup. Obviously, Bayern lost to RB Leipzig that night, and Tuchel had a very dramatic reaction for what is still really glorified friendly. He was really dissatisfied with his team. Uh, he threw a couple of the departments under the bus, and he's been grumpy. We talked a little bit about the number six problem and the Polinia or Declan Rice or that drama that lasted through the summer. I felt like one of the most interesting parts of Bayern's transfer period was when Uli Hoeneß spoke out and sort of anointed Conrad Leimer as the new number six. We don't need a number six. We've got Leimer. I think his exact quote was, we're going to have loads of fun with Conrad Leimer. And I love Conrad Leimer as, as, as a footballer. I think he's fabulous, but I, I don't think anybody's ever had a lot of fun with Conrad Leimer. And so there was this internally a lot of contradiction and and Tuchel is kind of the head of that. He seems to be kind of bemused by what he's found. And uh, Rafa mentioned the transfer committee. Obviously, Tuchel arrived as someone who, as a Bayern head coach, had a, an unusual amount of power or authority. And now seems to be a little bit stymied by too many cooks in the kitchen, possibly. I'm not sure. It's, but it's a funny one. And he, he's very unpredictable at the moment. I don't think they set out to actively sabotage his ideas or or really go against him but there were lots of differences of opinion sometimes between Tuchel and some of the others but also some of the others between themselves um, of what was needed who should they target etc Tuchel made no bones about the fact that he was unhappy and kept on pushing his own wishes uh, quite openly which of course was was wonderful for the media because they had a talking point even starting in pre-season and then going throughout the season has always been the biggest story has almost been what does Tuchel say in the press conference or in the pre-match TV interview and uh, what does the Bayern hierarchy say when we confront him with what Tuchel has just said and they were playing this ping pong that is hugely entertaining. I, I should say it's not a new thing. At Bayern, these these differences of opinions, these conflicts, if you will, are very often played out in public. Uh, it used to be Rummenigge and Hoeneß that had very different ideas. It used to be uh, different managers with different ideas. It's just that Tuchel uh, feels strong enough and strongly enough about these things to be very transparent in his views. And that's why it keeps, keeps on going. But my hunch is, despite the fact that Bayern are of course not happy that they have themselves criticized or at least second guessed by their own coach is that they've seen it all before because coaches, let's face it, are never really happy with their squad, often have demand that run counter to the club's wishes and often have to deal with not getting what they want and uh, and do so in, in different ways. So I think it's a bit at this point, a bit of a storm in a teacup rather than the size of a huge problem between Tuchel and uh, and the board. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. 
Hello there, James Richardson here. If, like me, you take an interest in the continental version of the beautiful game, then you should check out the Totally Football Show European Edition. Every Tuesday, I'm joined for the show by James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurence, and Alvaro Romeo as we cover all the big European stories. Expect all the footballing insight you need on the Totally Football Show European Edition, which you can enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to check out video versions of the show over on our YouTube channel. You know, from, from an outsider's perspective, you're looking at the mighty Bayern Munich and you're looking at their dominance of, of, of the Bundesliga. Is, is, it, is it that bad? Is it that drastic that they haven't managed to get a couple more extra players considering the squad in general is actually pretty decent? Obviously, we're not saying two starting 11s per se, but... If we're looking now in January to strengthen this squad, this squad currently, hopefully, should be able to get them where they need to be. Seems to me to be more of a question of depth. I, like I think if you look at the Bayern performances so far this season, you can definitely identify, for instance, a few issues in transition. When they lose the ball, Bayern look very vulnerable. Their midfield looks incredibly porous. Also, because of the size of Harry Kane's transfer fee, what you're having to do is you're inserting a player who's used to having an attacking system built around him into a pre-existing attacking situation. So it's a little bit like watching a um, a musician tune his instrument live within a band as it's performing. It's quite a quite a difficult exercise. I think also one of the things that will concern Tuchel is is that depth because okay, so you can go through department by department, and think right, Kimmich, Goretzka in midfield, but if you lose one of them, Gravenberch has been sold, of course, and. You know, that's hardly ideal. Um, a fullback, Benjamin Pavard, has gone. If Masrawi was to get an injury or a, a suspension, if there was a problem there, that's an issue. You do wonder whether one of the problems, I think, over the last couple of games has been the absence of Jamal Musiala, who, without his creativity and without Kane quite having the understanding with his new teammates to play that sort of deeper playmaking role that he enjoyed at Tottenham, there's a little bit of a, not chasm, but a gap between the midfield and the attacking lines. And I think we saw a little bit of that that against Gladbach. So I think there are, maybe not in the Bundesliga, because Bayern have an advantage in the Bundesliga. I'd say that Leverkusen look extremely strong, so do Leipzig, but excellent at the weekend, both of them. But when you come to the Champions League, that actually does look pretty perilous. And I've got some sympathy for Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd want to pour a bit more sympathy to Bayern Munich and Thomas Tuchel because, you know, the Hurricane saga, that dragged on, probably not of a fault of theirs. I mean, dealing with Daniel Levy, let's be honest, <laughs> is not the easiest. And the Hurricane saga, it did drag on a fair bit, but it wasn't potentially Bayern's fault. No, it wasn't. But um, I think that maybe with more streamlined processes mm. available, they would have been able to concentrate on two things at the same time. As it was, I think the CEO was very much invested in getting the hurricane thing done. And they said, okay, there's no point talking about Declan Rice. There's no point talking about holding midfielders because we still need to get the Kane thing going. And then let's see how much money have we got. And then will we sell Grafenberg? We don't know. Will we sell Pavar? We don't know. So there were a lot of moving parts and they ended up reacting rather than being in control of the transfer window, which again, I think it will be a lesson to learn and to change. When it comes to sympathy for Bayern and Thomas Tuchel, I think we're talking about um, the world's smallest violin in many places. <laughs> uh, not many people will feel too sorry for their problems. 
Guys, I'm just trying to be impartial. No, no, I'm just trying to be impartial. So, so, so am I, of course. Um, I think there's two things to to briefly mention before we move on from this. One is that, um, as Seb said, injuries could become a problem very quickly. I mean, you have three centre-backs and you have three serviceable midfielders, four if you count Musiala for the centre. That is simply not a lot. Um, you can get lucky. You can, it can be enough, but it might not be. And at that point, you know, Tuchel's going to be upset again because he said, you know, why is this? And the other thing is that I think in Tuchel's mind, while the squad on paper looks good and while Leimer is good and Gretzka is good, the kind of football that he feels is best for this team with a lot of possession, he wants somebody else behind Kimmich. He wants somebody who is a Rodri type of player, who's a Pelinia type of player, a guy that combines the defensive work rate with the ability to be also deep-lying playmaker and start the attack and have a bit of pressing resistance. And Bayern don't really have that because Leimer isn't that player. Goretzka isn't that player. Kimmich probably is closest to the player, mm -hmm. but then you need him to do the Kimmich stuff a little bit further up the pitch. So I understand why Tuchel said, you know, I want to play in a certain way and he feels he hasn't been given the tools to do so. But I'm 100% convinced Bayern will... We'll make that correction come January and when it really matters for them, which is, let's face it, the, the knockout stages of the Champions League, uh, we'll see a different Bayern midfield. I'd be interested to see if they actually do go back in for Polina because I, I remember thinking on deadline day, Rafa, that if you were to add him to that midfield, to that chemistry, and you were to, to provide Kimmich with that kind of building block, someone who will tackle everything in sight, really secure physical defensive midfielder, Bayern all of a sudden look incredibly dangerous, not just in the Bundesliga sense, but obviously in the Champions League. You, you, you see a team that has a lot of quality, but also physically, no one's running over that Bayern Munich team, and that's quite a that's quite a prospect for anybody, Man City, Barcelona, whoever, to face in 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 the latter rounds of the Champions League next year. I agree. I mean, Bayern managed to do that, of course, in a way with the same team, but playing a much more high pressing style. So the defense was being done further up the pitch. That's why you could get away with not having a holding midfield and being very attacking because Bayern suffocated opponents. Tuchel wants to play a little bit deeper and he wants to have that player behind Kimmich ideally. And I must say my own thinking has evolved a little bit because in the beginning I thought, well, I mean, Bayern have 70% of the possession. Do you need a holding midfielder as such in a team that will have so much of the ball and needs solution? But of course, Tuchel is not really thinking in terms of a, a purely defensive midfielder, even though he sort of called it, call it, calls them the holding six, which is kind of a combination of two different concepts. But I think he wants somebody who can basically do everything rather than having the much more vertical, dynamic powers of Goretzka and, and Lima. Uh, Palinia would, would bring a more sort of horizontal element almost to Bayern's play. And I think that's what he, what he thinks is really necessary. Yeah, I'm just interested in like the, the, the truth behind the Paulinho um, deal. You've written about it, Rafa, is that he was actually getting his medical at Bayern Munich and then the deal collapsed. The medical was already done. Uh, he'd, he'd already been uh, lifting the shirt and having photos and having an interview. And the time just ran out and they were hoping that Fulham will call and say, you know what, it's fine, we'll find somebody. But they didn't, of course. The German window closed at six. Bayern knew, unfortunately, very early that evening that it was not going to happen. And 
the player was very sad. Uh, Tuchel was more than sad, as you can imagine. <laughs> and he was sent home back again on his on his private jet. But the way that Bayern talked about this, this deal collapsing and they talked about Palinia and what a nice guy he is and how sad he felt, it makes me very... It leads me to believe quite strongly that they have some kind of loose agreement with him that they will go and try again uh, in January, then giving Fulham a bit more time. I mean, the problem from Bayern's point of view, some people have, have sort of made the point, you know, this is this is like Bavarian arrogance, you know, they just think they can just take a player from Fulham, um, the way to take players from the Bundesliga. I think in this case, it was more like a naivety um, that they felt that, Surely, a, t- a club that is prepared to sell a player to us will have some backup options available, but it just they just didn't for them, and they scrambled and they couldn't find anyone, and that's why Bayern um, themselves came out looking very bad. I mean, it is naive. Rafa's absolutely right. It just feels like it's like working in the German market, isn't it? Because we saw quite a few deals on deadline day, for instance, Kalamawani going to going to Paris Saint Germain, and. You, you expect the German club to be prepared for that situation. You don't often see in the Bundesliga, particularly the kind of the, the Champions League, Europa League level of it. You don't see a club go without. They've got a contingency. And you imagine every sports director in the country has a big room where they've got the next three, four, five years mapped out somewhere on a whiteboard. And so I just think it was kind of, they gave Fulham, they gave a Premier League club a little bit too much benefit of the doubt in terms of succession planning. Um, I think that's probably fairer. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Do you think some of that sort of naivety or arrogance, whatever you want to call it, was in play with uh, Benjamin Pavard moving on, um, would Bayern have seen that coming? Um, you know, sanctioning a deal to to Inter Milan, a player who obviously didn't want to be there, but would Bayern have expected him to stay? Well, this is a key one because Bayern knew for a while that Pavard was unwilling to sign a new deal. And at that point, you have to sell him. But at the same time, when they let Stanisic go a couple of weeks ago, they did so on the understanding that Pavard will stay and will provide that cover and even though he's unhappy, he's professional, he's just going to bite the bullet and then he can go for free, which will be better for him financially uh, next season. But it turned out that Pavard was so unhappy and so desperate to go that Bayern couldn't basically keep him. They had to change their mind, let him go as well. They needed the money, I think, as well, to be honest, to make the Palinia deal happen. Uh, but then it didn't get Palinia done. And the idea of getting somebody in on a loan as a short gap solution for that fourth uh, centre-back position and second right-back position, ideally one player doing the same thing as Pavar was was able to, that didn't work out either. So again, a failure of planning, a failure to really anticipate, and again, so reacting to things and being pushed into a corner, which is not a place that Bayern are very comfortable in. I think it comes with the size, it comes with the, the targets that they usually look at, that they don't have left-field solutions available. If anything, uh, the failure to bring in that fourth centre-back could could hurt them more. Because I think in midfield, you always find somebody who can play there somehow. You know, you can, you can stick Musiala in. Uh, De Ligt played there. 
a few minutes against Gladbach, but a centre-back, they would really struggle, I think, beyond, well, who can they play? Harry Kane, maybe, as a centre-back? I don't know. <laughs> Tuchel's masterstroke. You, you could stick Leon Goretzka there, and, you, you know, you could take man and ball, probably, so... <laughs> What, you got to say something, Seb? Sorry, I, I didn't want to cut you off. No, I, I was just going to throw back to the night of the Super Cup because I remember being in the mix zone that night after the game and a couple of the Bayern players stopped. A couple of the Bayern players had little snarky exchanges with members of the media as they walked past. Benjamin Pavard, he looked so miserable. I just wanted to hug him. I Like, he just... If you're going to... If you're going to break your transfer record, you've got to have significant incomings. Mane, yes, of course. Gravenberch, yes. But Pavard, for someone who I'm not sure he played his very best football last year either. I think that's not, I don't think that's particularly controversial. And to get the fee that they did for him, I think it's pretty good business. And I mean, we've, we have denigrated the transfer committee and, and Bayern's transfer business. Um, but a lot of their outgoings very good. They flipped Gravenberch for a profit. They got their money back for money. And the Pavard deal is a really, really good deal. Their outgoings have been handled really, really well. But then you, you look at the, the positions that they really need key players in. I mean, Pavard, Carl Walker, perfect, right? Like, I mean, I mean, can we get, can we demystify that deal? Is it because City were also light? They wanted to keep Carl Walker on, lacking, you know, it wanted to play with such experience as well. But that definitely publicly was a player that Bayern looked like they were chasing. Yeah, Carl Walker's version of that is that, he ended up siding with the club who offered him the longest opportunity to play. Now, I don't know if that represents the entirety of the situation, but it looks to me as if um, he just wanted to be convinced to play at City. Uh, and they did that. New contract offer came through and he was made to feel welcome and wanted. And I guess maybe Yao Cancelo's future is, is probably part of that as well. So that's still unresolved at the time that we're recording, so I'm not quite sure what's going to happen there. But Carl Walker would have been an excellent utility player for Bayern. So it's a little bit of a shame. And I don't think there would have been any reluctance on his part to, to move to Germany or to move to Bavaria. Um, I'm always told to, to create a distinction between those two things by, by German people. Um, so I don't know. It's, um, it's a funny one. But then I guess if you're Carl Walker's age and you're at that stage of his career and you have an existing relationship with a head coach and you've just won a treble, if you have the opportunity to stay on an improved contract, you probably do it. Because from, from an outsider, you're thinking this this could prove to be a really wonderful new opportunity back end of his career and, and, and playing in a different league. And, uh, you know, they're, they're the dominant team in the league and still get Champions League football as well. It's just that this idea that Bayern Munich is kind of like quite a soft option for players in that situation. Mm. There is no harsher environment media wise in football I've ever come across than Bayern Munich. There is a story every day. Might not be a good story, might not be a fair one. I mean, Rafa spoke earlier about the kind of the fun that the German media has had with um, the, the transfer activity of the summer or the lack of it. Now, if you're a Bayern Munich player, you're exposing yourself to uh, an awful lot of scrutiny. It's the brightest spotlight I've ever seen. Like I, I knew nothing of it until I moved to Germany, until I, until I saw it firsthand. It's nothing like it is in England at all. And so I can understand why someone might shy away from it. And particularly a defender. And Carl Walker is Carl Walker is, a, is a, an outstanding footballer. He's been a top, top player for a very long time now. But he's also someone that... Um, he's not a... He's not someone that... He's not a conservative footballer, is he? He's not someone that... Um, plays within himself he's not someone that um, he's someone who will make mistakes every now and again but makes up for them by you know yeah, telling contributions without the ball or in the way that he's able to change attacking gears with his run forward or his ability to play as a fullback or a center back all the things like wonderful footballer 
but I'm in a, not the easiest environment to be that player. It is Harry Kane for Bayern to score. The first moment of many in Munich for Harry Kane. I love him. He's a uh, fantastic guy, fantastic player, huge personality. Everything what I what I told you is is, is true because he is and in, in finishing his clinical. All right, let's person. talk about Harry Kane. I've, you know, looks like things are looking good. I know you said you know he's a he's a player that's slotting in and sort of learning as he goes along. But I mean, he's scoring, he's contributing, he's doing exactly what Bayern Munich bought him to do. Rafa, he is. He didn't do it against Gladbach. Um, failed to score. Failed to really have much of a, a goal scoring opportunity. Um, but it doesn't really matter because Bayern needed that type of player. They needed um, that centre-forward that's going to occupy uh, opponents. And you could certainly see in the first two games how just having somebody who is there and who's going to score makes everything easier. It makes Bayern slightly more independent almost of the quality of their football because you know this guy can at any time win a penalty or just head in uh, some cross or just get on the end of something. And you don't necessarily have to have the perfect game and still find a way of winning. That's what Lewandowski gave them. And I think that's what Kane will give them. And they could not be happier, I think, with him as a person. Uh, the impact he's had in the dressing room already, the way that he carries himself. Tuchel absolutely loves his, his aura, his charisma. Um, they were looking, and this goes back to the Carl Walker pursuit they were looking for big characters this summer they were looking for players who uh, lead by example who come into the dressing room with a smile on their faces happy to be there happy to play football because they felt that last season um apart from all the managerial troubles and everything there was a bit of a lack of of uh of a joie de vivre of 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 happiness attitude in this dressing room and harry kane has really brought that and all Bayern fans, uh, all Bayern players, the whole board, they, they still are over the moon that they managed to get him in. Seb, I just want you to put your Spurs hat on right now. It, it, the, the move from Tottenham Hotspur to Bayern Munich for Harry Kane, is it a bit of a bittersweet one? On one side, he's hit the ground running. You know what he can do and actually seems to have slotted in so far-ish, so good to that squad. But then you've got this Tottenham Hotspur squad Son Yumin is leading brilliantly. They're playing really enjoyable football. It looks like there's a togetherness there as well. And actually, onto Posikoglu, this feels like a, a new era and a new era that a lot of Spurs fans seem to be relishing. I expected it to be quite a conflicting situation because on the one hand, he's moved to a country where I live and actually I've taken a great deal of pride in watching him assimilate into the Bundesliga but also as a person because moving country at that stage of your life is not easy and he's done it really well and he's done it in a way which probably would have surprised a few people the Spurs thing is it's really early days I I mean we're four games into the season five including mm. you know the, the the league cup matches um and so the temptation is to say well I don't know whether he he kind of fits this Poster Cogley side and whether actually Son with his pace and with that kind of slightly different style of dynamic aspects of his game is a better fit for the type of football they want to play. That being said, I think what needed to happen at Spurs is, and I, I think most Spurs fans would probably agree with me about this, the conversation about Harry Kane's future had become very dispiriting. I remember watching Tottenham games where they won, they lost, they drew, whatever, where the topic amongst pundits during, before, after the game was, oh, surely Harry Kane must leave now. 
you know, he's got to leave now, he's got to go and do these things. It's very dispiriting. It, it, it really saps your morale to listen to that. And so Harry Kane is a wonderful player. He is the leading, the club's all-time leading goal scorer. And you can never really properly argue that the side is better without him. Of course not. But it sure is nice not to have to listen to the drone anymore. And I think if you're a fan of any club other than possibly Manchester City or um, you know some of the others, Manchester United, Chelsea, I think you recognise that. That as soon as you have the nice thing, the nice thing has to go away. It has to be sold somewhere else, and it's it's tedious. And so even if it's even if Spurs weren't playing well, and they're brilliant to watch, and I have the utmost respect for what Postecoglou's been able to do in such a short space of time, they're playing fabulous football. But even if they weren't, I think I would still think the same way, just because it's over. It's a it's it's finished. It's like it's like the world's longest bad breakup, right? Just better to get it done, I think. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Thanks, Seb. Thanks, Rafa. Remember, if you're enjoying the pod, then you can leave us a quick review on Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also read more from these two and the rest of our amazing writers on The Athletic. Sign up today for a special limited time offer of £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.